of, uh, you know, the result of human greed, human conceit, human ignorance. Is that it, we aren't, we've, we got to a point where we were making everything better, it seemed, and then it, it reaches its peak. Now it seems to be going down. Things get worse. Sometimes we romanticize things like American Indian, Native American groups, or the Amazonian Indians, or the um, uh, tribal peoples, or people that have still have have not kind of whose basic uh, attitude to life is is quite in tune with nature. Because we've, uh, we used to despise these groups. I remember when I was a boy in America, I was brought up to think American Indians. I don't know if that's politically correct anymore to say American Indians, uh, Native Americans. Which, wait, what is it? Native Americans. Uh, I consider myself a Native American. <laughs> but... Um, the, uh, we were, you know, I was, I'm from a, uh, ancestrally from one of those families that uh, probably were responsible for the exploitation of those people. Uh, my ancestors were m- Presbyterian missionaries and pioneers in the Northwest. And so they, uh, they all said they went there to Christianize, to civilize, to, these were all savages. Uh, that were without Jesus and God, and and uh, of course they were. We used to say things: the only good Indian is a dead Indian. You know, outrageous, horrendous things like this. We didn't think anything. We didn't even flinch when we said it. It was just so much a, a way of thinking. But also, we now begin to appreciate that say that the way that, that humanity has in the past, kind of learned to live with nature. Uh, or that, that we are a part of that nature. And, that, and, and it's quite interesting to see what is the, the purpose of, say, especially the, the uh, European civilization, because it seems so, so basically out of touch with nature. Like we, it seems like such a completely artificial civilization. Um, when the, when the, uh, the, the history, as far as we can trust history, is that when the Aryan tribes uh, invaded India, um, there, there were already an existing civilization that was highly developed. In the, you can see the remains of it in the ruins of Mahenjadaro and Harappa. And, and these were a kind of, kind of Dravidian type people, kind of black-skinned people who had developed cities and had uh, the art of farming and uh, agriculture and, and had even developed uh, like water systems and drainage and sewage. And they also found that these, these people were probably more on the level of yoga and uh, the kind of sh- shama- uh, shamanic type uh, religious attitudes, which are a kind of contemplation of nature, where you you uh, tend to say your relation, you're watching the cycles, you're kind of opening to the to the natural laws, and so then the the Aryan tribes, of course, had all these. The, these pantheon of gods, and you can see the, the relationship of the Greek and the Scandinavian, the Germanic uh, deities, the the uh, all these these uh, the celestial deities that that people worshipped uh, from the Aryan tribes, and so these two kind of came together, and you get the caste system, and what you get now is a kind of Indian civilization, and. This is just theory, but but Buddhism seems to have been a more 
prone in more in line with the maybe the the native Indian or the pre-Aryan, even though they they use the because of the, the, the yoga and the even the use of a, a shaman is is very similar to the word samana, which we call ourselves. We all we call ourselves as samanas, which um, uh, is a, a word used for people living the holy life. And many of us feel affinities with this this approach, this more kind of gnostic approach, the nature of religions, the, uh, the, the idea of the Buddha is, is understanding the rhythms of nature, the way things are. That's why we talk about Dhamma. Dhamma is a, it can be translated as nature, but it's much more in, like with, with the English word nature, we, we tend to associate it only with a certain thing, you know, like trees and, and that where when we say we talk about nature, we we go out and look at it and and admire it. But but I notice in uh, I was uh, surprised when I realized that I basically uh, was not culturally encouraged to think of myself, this body, as a part of nature. We we always saw nature as as that which was separate from us. That we went to to look at the mountains and and listen to the birds and go to the zoo to see the animals, to look at nature as if it was, was over there. And uh, you even, you know, it surprises me how one even assumed one, that this body itself was somehow outside that. That our whole way of looking at life was this more Christian way where God created it and, and you were, and you had these, all these doctrines and these, uh, uh, where the body, you know, could could rise up, resurrect into the sky, or uh, a god could have uh, intercourse with a human woman and produce uh, the Christ, or all these these kind of of ways of thinking uh, created this uh, this this, uh, this view that the, the natural laws were something separate from your religion. And so there was a lot of uh, confusion, I think, in, in how to relate religion and science. And this, back in the 50s, it was, seemed almost impossible. It seemed totally opposed uh, to each other, and you had to choose. And uh, there was no, no kind of, rec- you know, one couldn't even see them as, as uh, in any other way than, than through opposition. But in, say, the, the uh, practice of Dhamma, then it is, well, like we're, if you notice what we've been doing this past week, is really watching, listening, and learning from nature, from the way things are. You know, so that you're, uh, you're not trying to find a little Buddha inside yourself or, or, or you know, try to prove any kind of Buddhist... Uh, uh, concepts as, or, or create doctrines or impose or project anything onto the situation but center yourself you know, come to this place here to, to awaken the mind to, to learn how to sustain and, and remember or recollect how to, to watch and listen to yourself to, to uh, be with the breath be with the body, be with the silence, is, 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 bringing, is, is a way of, of, say, maybe called centering. Or realizing that the, the still point, or the, the, uh, the place of the, the, the axis mundi, or, the, or the, uh, the seat of enlightenment, the place of where, where you see things as they, where there is this right knowing, right understanding, Seeing things as they really are, and then the, then the the pattern that we're watching is the impermanence of the conditions. So that 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 includes all conditions. That includes Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism, 
Mahayana, Hinayana, Vajrayana, includes Europe and Asia, Africa, uh, it includes the universe, Islam, Hinduism, everything fits into these these patterns that, that, that all that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. The anicca of the conditions, conditioned realm. And then the there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed. So there is an escape from the form, the created, the, the, the uncreated, unborn form. If there was not the uncreated, unborn, unformed, then there would be no escape from the created, the born, and the formed. But because there is the uncreated, unborn, then there is an escape. Which means that the Buddha was pointing <coughs> the fact that we beyond just the the uh, the, the conditioned world the, the that is so that is that is uh, what we uh, tend to just be caught in in reactions conditioned reactions to it so this remembering bringing our now isn't to establish isn't to kind of hold on to an idea of the present but to to a way of of, of uh, wherever we are of having a place that we go to 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 establish mindfulness otherwise we we can live our whole life just going through fo- following the momentum of habit without having any any refuge but maybe just some kind of belief system hope or whatever that we might produce, or just avoid the issues altogether. Just uh, watch television and play golf and bridge till you die. Or drink and take drugs. Do something to kill time till the body dies. Or maybe this whole experience of life is something worth paying attention to. It has its message. Every every aspect of it is something to to that we need to learn from. That we have the opportunity to to uh, study and examine, such as the aging process of the body, or the sicknesses that we have, or the diseases, or the pain, or the uh, Changes in the society, changes uh, the pollution of the planet. Maybe, maybe rather than just complaining about it or blaming it on various groups of people, maybe it's it's also part of our something to 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 study and examine. We can see how we pollute our mind with with our negativity. How you know the the pollution starts within us where we. We create in this kind of negative perceptions in in our consciousness, so that we we see things through through a kind of veil or uh, a kind of scum or grime that accumulates over our conscious experience. So then, meditation is like cleaning or washing the window. Uh, Washing the 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 grime off the mirror so that you can see, you can get the the proper reflection, good re- clear reflection. Now, basically, I don't know what it's all about, you know. And you think, what is the purpose of this? Ultimately. You know, because you can't imagine, I can't imagine, you know. Now, if I should realize arahantship, means I'll never have to come back and be me again. What does that mean? What would that be like? Because what I know is this, isn't it? The human realm. 
whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, at least there's something that I, you know, you know, that I can uh, relate to because it, well, I've been born into what I've been experiencing all these years. So, so then there's a tendency to want to think in terms of like an, an annihilationism where you, you know, there's, there's a certain side of us that would like to just be dead and disappear, not have to feel, not have to exist. And then there's sometimes we were tired of feeling, tired of being conscious. When we go to sleep sometimes, isn't it? we just long to, to fall down on the bed and just crash out into sleep. Tired of existing, of feeling, of consciousness. So sleep gives us a taste of annihilation. We just, we, we, we disappear into the void of sleep. And then the other extreme is to think in terms of I want to go to a place where there's no disease where everybody's happy forevermore and, and uh, we can live with God. This is the old Christian one. You, if you're a good Christian and then when you die you go up in heaven and live with God and uh, forever. And uh, that sounded all right when you're a child. You can kind of think that might be rather fun. <laughs> but it, but when you, when you really contemplate it, if you're looking, if you're looking at it in terms of a conditioned mind of having to live with God forever, <laughs> it doesn't sound so great. And having like. Remember these songs like where you, you go to the land with the soda water fountains. You have lemonade and ice cream and <laughs> sweets. And, and, and imagine living forever with that. And uh, as you grow up you begin to think that, that, wouldn't, that would get pretty boring. Uh, just being just the having beauty and, and uh, pleasure as a continuous diet. So, you know, you, you, you can see that thought either takes you to, the, the, to, to an absurdity or to an annihilation. So, if you take the idea of eternal happiness from the conditioning of the mind, uh, it, you, it ends up in one of these kind of fantasy worlds of that is uh, ultimately absurd, unreal, and 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 uh, and one wouldn't really want that. To, when, when that is no longer an attractive alternative, nor is uh, the annihilation just to to try to to get out of life by disappearing. So. The, the humbling effect of this is, uh, is that they, the Buddha established what is called the middle way, which is learning to, to let go of these two extremes, the, the eternalist dream or the, the annihilationist one, or the extremities of, of conditionality. And so, how do you find a balance point between two extremes? Is you, first, you have to know what the extremes are. You contemplate the extremes. So, with, with suffering, that you're contemplating suffering is one extreme. Happiness is usually, you know, we're usually looking for happiness, running around trying to be happy and find happiness. And dukkha is what we're trying to run away from. So, the Buddha you know, reverse the psychology and said, understand the dukkha, this extreme of su- this suffering, this extreme. And then, because then through the, through the understanding of dukkha, you see the, well, also that, that dukkha and sukha, happiness and suffering are connected. And through that, you, 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 you realize a balance point, say, that isn't a kind of, mediocre compromise, but a transcendent. You begin to, to get over or, and get beyond your fascination, your identity with the condition. 
this is, of course, a continuous practice because um, all the time we have our karma, the result and the results of previous actions arise. And just the fact that we're 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 alive within a human form, and we have to bear with the karma of that, with the aging process, it, it's uh, and disease and and death and so forth. We have to we have to uh, also uh, bear with the with the emotional karma of separation from the loved and having to put up with difficult things and be with the unloved and wanting things we don't have. So, so these, uh, this, this, this way of reflecting helps us to transcend those, those kinds of experiences, which doesn't mean we get out of them, but we, we see them in terms of what they really are like pain, like, like uh, just the physical pain, going to, to learning to accept, learning to bear with, learning to the difference between physical sensation and emo- the emotional aversion we have to it. We're, and that takes patience and, and a willingness to, to, to say, Look at something that before you've only rejected and, and tried to get rid of, and see and, and accept it for what it is, and then be able to see, to to recognize the, what you create onto it, out of ignorance. So, like, if you have a pain in your leg, then you 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 want to get rid of it. So, the the difference between the actual sensation and the emotional reaction. That you can see. So you can let go, resolve these emotional reactions. Because these are not, these are, say, your own personal karma. It's not the, the, the body's karma is, is to experience pain. So that's, that's, that's not personal anymore. It's not like my pain. It's just this form, this state we're in is a is a painful state, isn't it? To be so, um, this this body is when you recognize so much of your life is just trying to be comfortable with it, because it is uh, it, it is always there's almost so much discomfort in regards to the body. You have to feed it, to rest, it, bathe it, even at its best. Not to mention the 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 diseases and the the problems of age. So that this this realm, you know, is a is I say a sense realm. It's sensitive. It feels this way. It's it's uh, so much of our experience of life is is dealing with discomfort, physical discomfort, as you're very much aware of sitting here for the past week. Nice, it's nice to think about sitting, isn't it? But then when you're sitting for 45 minutes, the, the body uh, can produce some pretty strong kind of sensation. This is, uh, this is just the way it is, uh, the, uh, this, this, this state of sensitivity includes pain. So pain is a part of our life. There's nothing wrong with it or the, the, there's nothing wrong with us for feeling it. It's just what it is. But it's our what what we do with it is usually uh, we just try to get rid of it. We we don't we don't learn from it. We don't uh, contemplate it. We're merely trying to ignore it, annihilate it, or live a life where where we can control and try to get out. We can take all these kind of uh, analgesic drugs or, or ant, uh, th- things that will, uh, will uh, diminish the, our sensitivity. But when we begin to recognize that the, the state of sensitivity may be something not to kind of uh, try to uh, control and, and uh, to be frightened of or to to try to 
to stop the sensitive state we're in, try to to uh, annihilate it, we, we we awaken to the fact that maybe we this is something to learn from, from sense experience, from our eyes, our ears, nose, tongue, and body, from our brain, from our hearts, from the emotional range that we have. It's all belongs, doesn't it? It's all uh, our karma. It's it's what we what we were born. We're born into this realm, and we we have to live this span of the lifespan of this body with with these kind of conditions affecting it. How to relate these conditions to the unconditioned or to the deathless? It's not annihilation, so it's not just kind of hoping that we'll we'll disappear into the uh, the unmanifest forever. Because there's still a sense of just that view of of I want to disappear is is the problem. But to be able to to awaken and realize the natural law of the relate the condition and the unconditioned. Because we're in a position in this form, in conscious form, to to realize that the 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 cessation of the conditions. Which then that cessation is the realization of the unconditioned. But it's like nothing at all. It's not like something that is absolutely fantastic. It's uh, subtle, and therefore it, it's overlooked. And and uh, because say the what we're are usually what we're so attached to in the force of habit is usually looking for something like God or some kind of magnificent experience that that we that we. Uh, that we imagine, or like a, a heaven realm, a place of bliss where we just float on a pink cloud for eternity. Or, uh, some, sometimes we do have, we experience uh, that we, there are moments, isn't there, where, where the, the self drops away, where there's just the, this, and that's a, that's a natural state. Where there's the, the consciousness, but there's and there's a there's awareness through this consciousness, but there's no sense of yourself anymore. Yourself has disappeared. The self consciousness, the conditioned view of yourself. Then we can, then that 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 state of bliss. Isn't extreme. It's not like high as a kite, but it's a natural way of being. Which, uh, of course, then the the grasping mind will, when the, when we get back into the old mode of thinking, then we want, then we remember it. We want to have it again. So things like this is a uh, have when when I had uh, the first year of my monastic life, I I had a very uh, some very blissful times, and. Uh, the second year, I didn't, and uh, so I had the first year. I seemed to seemed to get a lot of bliss and this emptiness and so forth, and and uh, then I and I kept thinking that that I'd attained some some state. And uh, but then the second year, I kept trying to do all the things to to get this bliss back, and I couldn't do it. It just you know when I was when I was trying to to get this, I was, because I was remembering, I was I was I remembered the the these these kind of insights, these experiences, and I was attaching to the memory, and then trying to get something through remembering it. Where what I needed to remember wasn't. The, the happiness and the bliss that I had the previous year, but remember to let go of it, 
to let go of, not attached to the memory, to to trust in the flow of life and to to uh, to not to, uh, say practice in order to to uh, to have bliss, but to practice in order to let go of the causes of suffering. So that's why we, in the the Buddhist uh, context, we we talk about suffering and its causes and the cessation. Because this is, this, and then the, the path, the Eightfold Path, is based on this right understanding of this. It can be like perfect understanding. And this Eightfold Path then includes the, the, the right intention, like you have right understanding of the, they use the word right, or some, some people like to use perfect. But it, it, it means that this is, this is the, this is the, this is the transcendent path now. It's not, it doesn't mean right as, a, as the opposite of, uh, of left, but right as the, as that comes from the, the understanding of things as they really are, or the perfect understanding. Perfect understanding, then the intention for our life is established. We'll say we, we still have to live through the uh, aging process of this body in the societies that we're living in, with the families that, we're, that we belong to. So, then the, but the intention then is we're go, we know our direction. Then, then there's the right action, right speech, right livelihood, and the kind of moral side of it, where then we, we're not going to use our body or our speech for harmful things, for wrong things. We, have this, we know now to use our, our human state, our human body, and our, and our ability to speak. Because this is body and speech, right action, right, right speech, right action, right livelihood. So we, we take on the responsibility, say, as a member of a society to, to be, uh, say, honest and fair and to uh, live in a way that is not, say, uh, corrupt or immoral, causing misery, spreading, uh, uh, disobeying, the, or causing uh, misery in the society, causing division. Right livelihood, you, trying to, to live our lives in a way that how we, we, we live our lives, how the kind of professions or ways we, we, we learn how to survive, make our living, is, is done in the right way, rather than just trying to, to make money on, in, 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 the, in terms of of just trying to take advantage of the system. So we have to live with ourselves, so we, we want to do things that are, that are, uh, that we can respect ourselves for. So right speech, right action, right livelihood, then take us to the right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, which is the, the, they say right understanding, right intention come from up here. Right speech, right action, right livelihood is about the, the how to use the body and the speech. Then the, then the right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration is the heart, the, the, the emotional balance. So they, our human state is, is a heartfelt, state, isn't it? We, uh, as much as we want to be rational creatures and, uh, and uh, kind of computerize the world and the universe, uh, our suffering isn't, isn't through, through, um, through rational, uh, through, through the rational function of the mind, our suffering is here, isn't it? Self-hatred, uh, feelings of uh, fear and anxiety and worry and self-consciousness and 
and all the, the, the that wide range of emotional experience that that uh, we feel we feel and we experience life in this way. When we go to the brain, when we use the intellect, then we can kind of get out of that for a while. Like it, it's, it's nice to kind of read and and kind of use. And my, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm computer illiterate. I've never don't know a thing about them. Uh, but from people that I know that use them, they get very absorbing because you, you're up in your head. And you don't have to feel life. Where they in the, in the family or in the, um, the relationships, say, with, with outside your computer in the office or in the society, it can be very... Uh, fraught with all kinds of difficulties around what? The emotions. Because, uh, say, there's an imbalance, there's an effort, mindfulness, concentration, there's, there's no, there, these things are not, uh, they're not right effort yet, or right mindfulness, or right concentration. So our emotions tend to, we, you know, we we tend to go all over the place emotionally with, with, uh, because of this. We're so we just caught in the power of, say, praise and blame, success and failure, happiness and suffering. And notice how sometimes we, uh, here, we, we get so polite. We, sometimes we, in the Sangha here at Amravati, we, we're, so, we're so very refined compared to the rest of the world. Not bragging, but in a way, it kind of, it, it kind of, it's a kind of complaint, because it, it sometimes uh, we, we're just too, we, we expect life to be too polite, too precious. Everybody to kind of be so very sensitive to everything, and, and, and our lives can we expect maybe that, uh, you know, to in, in a level of refinement that, that we can, that we feel safe with. So we also need to have periods where we, where we can express our true feelings or our emotions, rather than always couch them in, in, in uh, polite language and, and in uh, mild ways of expression. Because uh, we also need to to accept the the coarseness of life. We aren't we aren't just trying to say develop our, our ourselves into refined human beings as a, as a refuge, but to to be able to uh, say respond to life in all its possibilities, in all its variations from coarse to refine. So that's why one does appreciate being uh, called uh, abusive names from a, from a lorry. And it makes you... <laughs> some people think that was very bad karma for the lorry driver. <laughs> but... Uh, it also it gives one a chance to to uh, to experience life in a diff in a different way than when you say I can't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Having been in the navy for for four years, I do appreciate a certain level of coarseness of male of male coarseness. Uh, not as a steady diet, but it does have its, <laughs> its, uh, its power and it's important. Because uh, politeness taken to an extreme is, is if effete, isn't it? It's weak. So we're, we're, we're trying to, to find the balance and to be from this, and the balance isn't, as I said before, a mediocre compromise, but a, a transcendent.
because the truth, the, the refuge is in a, it, it, the, in that watching position. So we're seeing the, the movement of the condition. The, what, like, like you can always, right now, whatever has arisen in your consciousness, it's this way. And so you can, by, by remembering that, then you, 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 can, you can kind of stay with what you're feeling now until it ceases. So you're, you're learning how to see the cessation of something and, and recognize when, when something that was there is no longer there. Like it's important to notice also, like if you feel angry, if anger arises in your mind, and to, so, so that you're, you, you know that there, now there's this angry feeling. So you, you go, you, you kind of notice this, you, you stay, you concentrate your mind on this feeling of being angry. Try to just get it on the feeling level, not on the analytical level, not, not trying to figure out why you're angry, but the anger is like this. And then as you, as you, you're holding this anger and watching it, then it, it, it will, it will cease. And then you, then you note, make a special note of your consciousness when there's no anger. So that you're, you're, you're actually informing, you're, you're noticing the presence and absence. And this is very important to not just be aware of the anger and then and then ignore and, and just not bother to notice when there isn't when it's gone. But to but then to see and, and not to think of well I'm no longer angry anymore, I'm okay, but see the to, to note that feeling of when the the relief or that sense of when there's no anger, when something that was there is no longer there. So there's this knowing, this 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 that which can see things as they are. And one finds that, uh, that a relief, like to, to uh, say if one, because the perceptual realm, the, the view, the ego is very much thinking that, like you can say, somebody, we, we say, this, this man is an angry person. Or, giving you kind of information like that. You say, uh, Arjun Samedo, I get angry easily and I have a history of blowing up and, and uh, making a scene. Uh, everybody says I'm an angry person. Uh, how can I change? I don't want to be an angry person. How can I get rid of this anger? And then I, then I go, well, you know, I'm, like trace it all back maybe to childhood experiences or uh, whatever we can we can analyze it and then figure out you know why and what makes you angry and <clears throat> all that but it's still the sense of the sense as it is there's still this remaining assumption that that I am an angry person and it's my problem and then even if I suggest you know I suggest well you really do have a problem there anger is one of your problems you've got to work on your anger this is how I hear people talking sometimes. You, you've got an anger problem and you've got to work out this problem. And so, so then you, yes, you've got to work out my problem. I, Ajahn Sumato told me, because I'm an angry man and, I, and I've got to get rid of it and, uh, and it's a problem and I've got to work on it. I'll work on myself. What should I do? And, and so some, sometimes we, we go to a kind of absurd extreme thinking that we deliberately seek out things to make us angry. But the, the, basic, the basic assumption and delusion is still operating. It's, it's still like me and mine. It's still underlying. The, even though you, you, it might be helpful to think like that, to a certain degree, yet the the basic cause is still, still is you still convinced, you still believe that it's you, and that's a that's an assumption we make. I mean, it isn't 
it isn't like, because we, we would never challenge that, the sense of ourselves. But in, notice that the Buddhist, especially in Theravada Buddhism, where they emphasize anatta or not-self, not as a, not as a doctrine, but as a uh, tool to, uh, to recollect from. Is this anger really me? And, and so we begin to look at anger, not, not as my problem, but for what it is. It feels like this. When there's anger, when there is anger in the mind, it's this way. And so we, we're, we're looking at the mood of the mind, what they call the jitta, or the, 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 mind, the conditioning of the mind itself. It's like this, the aramana, they call it in Pali, arom in, in Thai. So that they, they, we're, we're, we're looking at the arom, or the aramana, or the, the mood of the mind. So like when there's anger, we begin to, you know, the anger's like this, like you, you're you're looking at it, and for what it is. You're not, you're not, you, and you're you're not trying to think of it in terms of my anger. It's just this way. So then we remember. I mean, when 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 we feel this anger. In life, then we can. We we train ourselves to remember to look at this to to kind of try to look at it, feel it, be with it. And so, and it works very well. Like I, last last year, I had this man come who was really angry with me, and uh, really angry. So he said, "I want to have a talk with you, Ajahn Sumato." So, uh, I my immediate reaction was, "How can I get out of this?" <laughs> anyway, I I couldn't. So we. We agreed to meet at a certain time, and then he uh, he started having a go, and he was he was really wound up. So I I sat there and I kept uh, I I determined to just watch here watch what, what, when he was because he was obviously going to tell me off. So I was centering on here on my this the feeling of of how I was feeling his his words. So I found that I, I was qu- quite, uh, as long as I stayed here, then he could say all these things, and, uh, and I could accept all that he said. I was feeling it. I wasn't trying to, I mean, I could see myself, you know, like indignation, how dare he talk to me like this, or, or you know, the emotional reactions, were, but I was aware of them as, you know, re- emotional reactions. Uh, or, you know, wanting to tell him off, or wanting to, that's not true, you've got it all wrong, or set him straight. I was watching how the, 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 the reactions would go. There's, there's this sense of watching, and there's this composure, and the acceptance of this man's anger. So, like, like he, I was accepting this anger, and I was aware of my own emotional reactions to it, but I wasn't uh, feeding the anger. I wasn't, by, by uh, you know, I wasn't kind of yelling back at him. I was just receiving it and listening, paying attention. And then after a while, he seemed to, it all seemed to go and he lost, he, he, uh, the anger, his anger disappeared. And that's quite interesting because it had obviously been, been this had been a build up over a long period of time and and he was you know and and I knew that that uh, that if if I started uh, getting aggressive and angry back that uh, would be you know disaster There'd be no no point in that so so uh, doing this then it seemed to, to, for him, he kind of lost his anger. And I didn't feel angry. I didn't, I didn't feel uh, anger back because I'd been 
with it, my own kind of emotional reactions to it while it was happening. And then it was su such a relief to, to, uh, to, to, you know, to just be able to, to use life in this way, to, to uh, be able to work with these, with these, with these strong emotions uh, in a wise way, not through trying to get rid of them, but through this understanding of them. And then noting the, the mind, say, where these, this, this emotions are, then, the, then the, the gentleman calmed down, and then there's this kind of pleasant uh, conversation. I was watching that, this feeling. Of. So you, you're, you, you have a, a way of, of uh, say, dealing with difficult situations that say, before we're only either you'd, you'd just you know, you just grin and bear it and just uh, take it on the chin, but inside you were, you were really angry and you, you know, you were resentful of, some, of that kind of abuse, but you never had no way of resolving that. Or you, you, you managed to maybe out-anger him. No, I, when I, I can get very angry, I can be terrified. People say, when I get angry, I'm really terrified to people. I don't see why. But <laughs> <laughs> they say, I'm really frightening. I could, I could, I could probably frighten him. <laughs> but this other way I like much better because <laughs> Because it probably wouldn't be good for my blood pressure. <laughs> the other way. So this this way of of uh, say remembering, bringing attention back, it's like here in the heart. It's actually you can use your body in this way. This is, this is when we talk about the heart. It's where we feel life. So, and it is you. You, if you if you bring attention to this part of your body when when there's emotions and just kind of feel those emotions. Just be the watcher, the acceptor, not the critic, not the witness, not the the one who watches and criticizes, but the just the the one who knows it for what it is. And then, when it ceases, you're also Notice the absence of what of, of it. So <clears throat> you can also do this with yourself. The sense of yourself as a person. Uh, to be aware of yourself as a person. I'm this person. And when there, when that sense of yourself is 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 not there. Now I found that not self is bliss. To not be anybody. But you don't have to kind of knock yourself out. But to recognize that, that you, you, we do have a choice. We don't have to create ourselves as, as personalities. We, through mindfulness and wisdom, we can actually realize that the non-self, real, realize anatta, in which we, there's consciousness and the sensitive state is here and now, but we're not creating uh, uh, ourselves as a, as a personality, as anything. And in that state, then the, there is a, a, there's a kind of feeling of bliss and relief. Because to become a person, uh, just as a, as a momentum of habit and, and ignor out of ignorance, then of course it, we're always worried about what people think, whether people like us, whether we'll succeed or fail, or whether we're attractive or unattractive, or lovable or not, or or what's going to happen to me when I get old, and and uh, all the rest, the whole problems of the world. It can see so much of one's life was worrying about what are the other people think. How many of you worry about what other people think? It's a common problem. 
we suffer a lot imagining what other people think and uh, this, this self-consciousness is is a is a, is is a lot of suffering when that self-consciousness is absent then it's 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 a it's a kind of bliss of the mind Use the word bliss to describe that state of non not self, because the self is uh, is what separates, isn't it? It's, it creates me as opposed to you. It's, it's what I think, what I want, what me, my body, my things, my sensitivity my way and all the rest of this this always is divisive and creates the uh, and when we when we when we create this as a habit then our life is always the experience of self-consciousness and fear and anxiety around that 